The Cannabis Conversation. A European perspective on the emerging legal cannabis industry. Welcome back to the Cannabis Conversation. This show is all about exploring the new legal cannabis industry by speaking to the professionals that are shaping it. Thanks again for joining me this week. Uh, we're up to episode six now. Got a great show today about the buzzword of the moment or the buzz acronym to be correct, CBD. What is it? What to look out for? How do I know what to buy? And why is everyone getting very excited about it? And for those of you that managed to listen all the way to the very end, there's a little competition at the end where I'll be giving away some goodies. Okay, enjoy. Okay, so today we have on the show Dr. Chris Cordier and Mike Parker from Grow Biotech, which is a medical cannabis company based in London. Chris's role is as a research chemist, having previously been a research fellow at several top universities across the world, including Cambridge and Imperial. And Mike is head of business development for Grow Biotech. Now, CBD is everywhere and being hailed as a miracle cure for anything and everything. But what is the real truth? Chris and Mike are here to help us understand that from a scientific as well as commercial perspective. Guys, welcome. Hello. Hi. Happy to be here. So let's get sort of stuck in straight away. Chris, this is probably more aimed at you, but what exactly is CBD and how does it work on the body? Okay, so CBD stands for cannabidiol. And within cannabis, there's three main classes of compounds that have some pharmacological effect. Uh, there are flavonoids, and as you might guess, they're somewhat associated with flavor. Uh, terpenes, which we normally attribute some of the aroma of cannabis from. And uh, cannabinoids, and those are often what we somewhat loosely called the active components, whereas perhaps they're all really a little bit active. So CBD is a similar structure to THC, but has a slightly different molecular shape. And when considering small molecules and how they interact with the body, shape and structure often dictates function. So for example, THC, we often call, uh, say THC is a more psychoactive component, whereas CBD is still psychoactive. And if you look at the definition of that, it really just means that it affects the mind. Whereas uh, CBD is non-psychotropic, meaning it doesn't get you high, it doesn't have the inebriating effect of THC. Okay, that's great. And so, so, so you pointed out how CBD is different from THC. What are the kind of known different effects it has on the body? Okay, so if we start from a sort of high level, um, just sort of talking about the safety profile, I suppose. So the first thing to know about CBD is that it, it does have quite a broad um, and good safety profile, meaning that uh, relatively low toxicity. Uh, so overall, it's quite a good starting point from developing new medicines. Um, that said, there are still some side effects. So one CBD-based medicine that was um, been FDA-approved from GW Pharmaceuticals for the treatment of uh, two rare forms of epilepsy that, for which we don't have current medicines that can provide some patient relief for that is called uh, Epidiolex. And Epidiolex has some side effects that it's quoted. One, mainly associated with sleep disorders. So that could be either sleepiness and fatigue, but as well as insomnia or trouble sleeping. Uh, and the other is just digestive problems generally, so either diarrhea or some uh, appetite alterations. Uh, but in, even in both cases, we're talking about quite large quantities of CBD or very continued use over long periods of time. So generally speaking, it's far safer than the majority of pharmaceutical drugs that do affect the mind. 
Fantastic. Okay, great. That, I mean, that's a very good rundown and thankfully not overly scientific because I'm not great in that area. What have you seen that some of the claims that are being made about it and, and how reliable are they really at this current stage? So in order to somewhat somewhat address that, I am going to go into a slightly more science okay. for just a moment. So uh, when the cannabinoids were first identified in terms of their molecular structures, we um, immediately as we, uh, tried to look into how their effects are derived from the body. And often really that means that on the surface of most cells, we have some kind of receptor and compounds from the outside of the cell combine to that receptor and impact how the inside of the cell functions. And uh, in using that, that kind of process, um, we found that certain receptors are, are where THC and other cannabinoids bind, and obviously we label them as cannabinoid receptors. But actually, they have endogenous, meaning natural compounds within our body that normally interact with that. And simply, the cannabinoids are hijacking that system and then uh, altering it okay. from an exogenous source. Now, what we do know is that cannabinoids generally, but even CBD specifically, has more than just its effect on these known cannabinoid receptors. There's a whole alphabetic spaghetti of, of acronyms according to different types of receptors, 5-HT receptors, and, uh, and a whole variety of others that, that cannabinoids do affect. What I would say is, is that there's so many effects of CBD within the body in terms of the wide-ranging cellular targets. But what, so we can kind of divide um, what is known into small perhaps not completely verified studies and a bit more concrete work. So, mm -hmm. for example, we definitely know that CBD can be effective in the treatment of some epilepsy drugs, such as the, the FDA-approved drug. Uh, we also know that it can be effective in the treatment of anxiety and pain or have some sort of anti-inflammatory effects. Now, in those cases, we kind of have some evidence in human studies or even clinical trials. And what I mean by clinical trial is process by which uh, pharmaceutical drugs go to market. So they, they determine if it works in some kind of cellular assay, meaning we just give the compound to a cell, observe what happens. And then the next stage from that would be maybe to try it in some kind of animal or maybe a human. And if you can do that on a large quantity of humans, then test its effects, then you can derive one, its safety, and then two, its efficacy, its ability to have the, the desired effect. So uh, anxiety, inflammation, and pain, and uh, some forms of epilepsy, those we have quite concrete evidence to say that CBD can be effective. But given that there's a whole variety of receptors that we do know effects, and even the receptors that we know it's interacting with, but we don't even know what the receptor does... Mm -hmm. Um, which means that there's a lot of somewhat anecdotal evidence. So just to range off a, a list of a few, there's some cellular-based assays or small animal-based studies that suggest CBD can be effective in the treatment of Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's, uh, multiple sclerosis, uh, Huntington's disease, depression, even cancer. So but what I really should temper that with is that if you have a range of cancer cells and you, in a petri dish or something, you uh, you add some CBD to it. If the cancer cells stop growing, and that's kind of how we define them as cancer cells, mm -hmm. constantly growing cells, they stop growing, but it has some anti-cancer effect. That's a long way from saying that it can cure cancer mm -hmm. or a specific cancer in a human body. Mm -hmm. And even that, even even if we could say that, there's multiple different cancers that have arisen through multiple different molecular mechanisms, and therefore 
there's no one drug that's going to cure everything. Sure. So we've got a long way to go, but I think it's quite a good starting point, even if it's somewhat anecdotal and not immediately proven. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's good to lay out what what are the kind of strong areas and what are the, the, the less strong areas where there's more work to do. There's more work to do in general, I suppose, mm-hmm. and the, on the whole medicinal side. One thing that you've briefly touched upon, or, or at least an area that I've been interested in, was around this idea of the entourage effect. So we're talking about CBD here in isolation, presumably. Is there there's there's some body of material to suggest that actually CBD may work more effectively when combined with other cannabinoids, i.e., other active compounds within cannabis, including THC. Yeah, that's right. So, so let's if we just talk about it from a conceptual point of view to begin with, and then we can dig into the molecular side. So, how this comes about is that if you take the cannabis plant and extract CBD, and you at the end of that, you have a pure compound, not a million miles away from if you take paracetamol or something like that, that's majority one active ingredient with some other components in there that don't have a biological effect. Now, if you do the same thing for, for CBD, then you can give someone that CBD and it could have some, some effect. Or if you take the crude extract, what that means is it contains a variety of other cannabinoids, perhaps also some terpenes, perhaps also some flavonoids. And if you administer that to a patient, that effect can be different from the CBD alone. And in some cases, a patient may suffer no relief when given CBD alone, but do have relief from their symptoms when given the crude extract. So one way to think about this is, so the entourage effect is a really nice um, sort of term for it, but um, really this kind of comes down to the the expression called pharmacosynergy. Um, Really, that just means any pharmaceuticals that have synergy with one another, meaning the the sum is greater than the components. And um, so there could be a variety of instances uh, of how this works. So one one way to think about it is think about um, each cannabinoid, each uh, active component in the cannabis plant kind of being a key on a keyboard. And if you strike one particular note or if you strike multiple notes at the same time, then you arrive at at a chord. And that's kind of a good way to think about how uh, multiple components can give a different effect than one component alone. It's obviously more complex than that. And if you think about it more perhaps like a graphic equalizer where you could increase the quantities of each um, component as opposed to just being a binary on or off, mm-hmm. whether it's there or not. And of course, it's way more complicated than that as well <laughs> because there's uh, a variety of targets that we don't actually know what they do in the body. So um, there's a few examples of where there's, there's some validation for this. So you talked about uh, maybe cannabinoids and terpenes having a, a synergistic effect and there's some evidence to suggest that so one of the one of the key bits of evidence that have been pointed to that is to say that maybe terpenes affect some of the permeability of the blood brain barrier and what this is is a barrier around the brain which is very which restricts the access of some compounds into the brain and if the terpenes can affect the entry of compounds into the brain, then that will affect uh, the overall effect that you'll observe. So it's increasing the delivery, if you like. Exactly, yeah. So there's a variety of other mechanisms where you can, uh, where you can have two different compounds interacting at two different sites in your body, or they could be interacting at the same site but maybe attenuating the effect of each other. Or it could be, as, as you uh, rightly pointed out, uh, a delivery aspect. So maybe one compound enhances the delivery of one compound, or um, one component maybe slows down the exit of that compound. As your body degrades the compounds and tries to excrete it, perhaps some of the other components in the cannabis extract can attenuate that um, that metabolism of that drug. 
Great. I love the use of uh, musical metaphors there <laughs> to help us understand. Okay, so I think uh, you've highlighted where, where there's good research and where there's probably more needed. Mike, maybe this is a good chance for you to kind of get involved as well. What are, what are the kind of products that are currently being sold in the marketplace at the moment? Because, you know, in Boots and Holland and Barrett and everyone seems to be stocking something to do with CBD. Uh, no, there's a variety of what we call uh, delivery methods. Um, and for any other person, that's just a, a form of product. You get a full range of things, um, not just here, but around the, the, the world industry. You've got you know, vapes, uh, which come with oils, tinctures, which are you know, droplets uh, that normally go under the tongue. Uh, you have uh, soft gel capsules for you know, slow release, but perhaps if you're doing it for a sustained release overnight. And then you have just plain old supplements uh, in the in the in the pill form or powder, yeah. And also, uh, I've seen creams as well. Yeah, topical creams. Um, there's a whole range of beauty and health products that I've seen in high street retailers using CBD as as a, as a component. Yeah, and um, I mean, this is a bit of a deep and open-ended question, but are some methods of delivery more reliable than others in terms of? Well, you, um, it's about, I guess, efficacy and maybe the rate of absorption into the body. So if you're, if you're using a vape delivery method, then that's going to be a lot quicker than a soft gel capsule, uh, which you'd want for a sustained release overnight. Right. For example, if you suffer from chronic pain and, or, or any kind of uh, condition that would keep you awake at night, this would be a, a slow release rather than getting a hit from a vape, which would be... Uh, pretty quick to uh, join the bloodstream. Um, it's, it's up to however you're administering it to yourself. True. And topical creams and things like that, are they, have they been shown to be effective for, for whatever they're trying to treat? Uh, some people I've spoken to say that they swear by that. Um, other people say the jury's out. So it's, I guess it's on a case-by-case basis. And it's as individual as each person would be. But for topical creams, you know, sports injuries, uh, swelling, inflammation, uh, direct to the, the joint or whatever it is that you're uh, treating would be, I imagine, the first, first step. Mm. Yeah. Elaborating further on the kind of the state of research and, and where we are, um, I've, I've certainly read a couple of articles and maybe they're trying to sort of chip away at, this, at CBD's reputation. But I think one of them was saying that from a scientific perspective, the minimum effective dose is seen to be around 150 or 200 milligrams of CBD, whereas the the dose that you would get from a kind of high street supplement that you buy is you know considerably less. Without you know without doubt, a lot of people swear by it. So, is there a gap in between where the research is and and what people are affecting? I people that science doesn't exactly know yet, or is there a placebo effect? Or you know, that's a, that's a good question. So, I'd say that there's, there's clearly a gap in terms of what was what has been definitively known, but. Just coming back to the safety aspect of the CBD, because it is relatively safe, I think that um, that does open the, the avenue for simply patient trialing and see how it affects. So in terms of the dosing, if uh, it, it really kind of depends on, on what you're trying to affect. So minimum effective dose for, I don't know, a sleep disorder might be a quite a different minimum effective dose for some treatment of disorder of the mind. Um, so I, I think that when you hear things like that, I think it's... I don't want to poo-poo it. I think it, I agree with that there's a lot of 
that still is, is not known. But I think it really depends on what you're trying to treat and how you're judging the minimum uh, subjective, uh, sorry, the minimum effective dose. So if you're talking about, let's say, the treatment of anxiety, well, by definition, you're talking about a subjective experience. So if you start to introduce a placebo effect, then obviously we can claim a placebo effect, but that's, it's a, it's a paradox that you can't necessarily prove, I think. So I think that uh, there is some, some strong evidence to say that in the treatment of some disorders, the placebo effect with CBD is is not really a, something we have to consider too much. Like it's not that it's only a placebo effect; there is a genuine science behind it. I think. I mean, you highlight a really good point there as well um, that it isn't always more is better or more effective. It really is dependent on why you're taking it and, and what more of the reasons behind it. So, so yeah, I mean, I've certainly you know I, I know plenty of people swear by it in, in the same way that you did, Mike. So there's clearly something there, and again. You probably need to just do some research on why exactly you want to take it and for for what reasons. So moving on, everyone seems to be having CBD marketed to them in some way or or another. What would be your advice in terms of helping people in how they choose products? Yeah, due diligence is is always a good start for buying anything. So if you're going to buy toothpaste, you're going to you know you're going to buy from a trusted brand. You're not going to buy an unknown. So, you know, always look for verified, trusted products with a declared source, not just made somewhere, uh, but actually a physical location. You'd want to have it backed up with lab reports. Good thing to have if, if you can get hold of it is a certificate of analysis, which will give you a breakdown of the actual contents, quantities and ratios of the CBD content, the manufacturing date, the batch number. And you've also got to look at for, for stuff that you don't want to imbibe or have in your body. And yeah, that's things such as corn syrup, trans fats, GMOs, artificial additives, thinning agents, preservatives. And uh, you want to make sure it's verified that it's free of contaminants such as mold, uh, bacteria, pesticides, and any solvent residues. One, one, one thing that a lot of people don't know is that uh, cannabis itself is a bioaccumulator. So there will be stuff that uh, gets drawn into the plants from whichever ground is uh, growing in. Not really the case if it's grown hydroponically or aquatonically, but heavy metals and, and stuff like that, which are generally not good for the body. And you also want to look at what extraction methods they've been using. Uh, so CO2 extraction is, is good, and food-grade ethanol is, is also good. But you kind of want to stay away from butane, propane, hexane, other hydrocarbons, um, okay. that kind of stuff. And it's, yeah, it's all about just doing your homework. And if, if someone's telling you something's too good to be true, and in your mind you think so, you know, odds are it probably is. Mm-hmm. Um, however, that that being said, CBD is being used by a lot of people for a lot of different things. So I guess take things with a pinch of salt and trust, but also verify is, is the general theme of uh, thinking, as, as you would any any product that you would uh, put into your body. Yeah, very good advice. Hopefully helps people make that choice. Cool. Okay, so in terms of the CBD market such as it is, what are the kind of exciting market trends that are, that are happening in relation to it? Or, or are there any kind of interesting commercial areas that are cropping up around? Well, I think for a start, just like the, the rapid mainstream adoption of it in, in the market and how it's been not destigmatized overnight, but you know, in a, in a pretty rapid process. And it, that the fact that it is treating so, or being said to be treating so many different conditions, um, you know, especially with 
things like chronic pain, epilepsy, anxiety, uh, sports injury, and as as Chris alluded to earlier, things that affect the mind, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, MS, Huntington's, uh, depression, etc. Et um, I mean, that, that in itself is pretty exciting from from a natural organism, and that I know with a bit of chemistry, etc., can be used uh, to tweak, etc., uh, and challenge more mainstream pharmaceuticals. And I think that's 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 a very exciting part of it. But in, in terms of what's um, in, in unusual applications that uh, we've come across, we've seen uh, we've seen pet foods with CBD to uh, release anxiety in, in uh, small animals. I mean that's kind of understandable if it's uh, Guy Fawkes. Uh, a lot of people are yeah in in that same delivery method. So I was talking about people are not putting into foodstuffs such as infused drinks, chocolate bars, baked goods, etc. Uh, baked goods probably not a new thing. Cannabis, um, but that 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 is that is kind of interesting. But I guess as a biotech company ourselves, you know whatever is going to come out of the the research associated with it is is the exciting part for us. I believe. Yeah. Great. Great. Yeah, lots of interesting things, particularly around the, the pet angle, which also you kind of made me laugh a bit, but you're right, it does make a lot of sense in terms of calming pets down. So I guess one of the reasons I'm very interested in putting out podcasts was obviously the subject matter, but also from a personal perspective, how people come to work in cannabis, because obviously it's been taboo the whole time I've been alive. And it's probably not the natural thing that <laughs> you tell your parents, but how did you guys sort of come to be working in this area? Well, uh, I've been an organic chemist all my life, really, at least all my adult life. And uh, so, so it's been about 11 years of um, doing fairly, fairly mainstream organic chemistry. And what I mean by that is really just developing new techniques and ways of synthesizing new molecules that could be of interest to the pharmaceutical industry or material science and so on. And at the same time, I, uh, I had my own research group at Imperial and I had, uh, I had family members in the West Coast of the US and I went to visit some of them and I saw how uh, the, the cannabis space was changing there and I felt like I could really make a difference. Um, I think as an organic chemist, one of the the way we're trained is to think about how to um, design new ways of making molecules or how molecules react and understand them, as well as, as how they interact with the body from a bi- biological perspective. And um, I think I wanted to uh, try to find a new problem. And I think it was partly my, my visit to, to the U.S. to see some family members and uh, partly my reading of a book by Michelle Alexander called The New Jim Crow. And uh, it talks about the war on drugs and, in particular, mass incarceration in the U.S. And I found this really fascinating. And in particular, the number of, uh, of people that are locked up in non-violent drug offenses. And principally, really, we're, we're talking in a lot of those cases about, about cannabis. Uh, and obviously, the laws are biased in terms of racial dispar- disparities, in terms of arrests and, and uh, incarceration rates. And I felt that, uh, as a chemist, there's some areas that I could uh, input in terms of the science. And it's something that it's not so straightforward to do within academia, or at least you can't be quite a dynamic to a new emerging industry. And, you know, when I'm very old and maybe I'll have some grandkids one day, I'll be able to tell them, well, yeah, I, uh, I moved from the status quo and I moved to do something while it was still illegal. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, a very brave move as well. Good to hear. Uh, Mike, how about yourself? Um, so originally I come from Zimbabwe and, uh, last year 
they, the Zimbabwean government became just the second government in Africa to legalize the production of cannabis for export after Lesotho. But I thought I thought this would be a brilliant opportunity for you know ways to bring the com- country back into the international arena and get um, get a new industry going because it has perfect growing conditions for it. Whilst I was over in London. Um, looking for looking for a good network, you know, of investors and like-minded individuals. I first came across a networking event held every month called First Wednesdays, and I was introduced to that by my now work colleague, um, Dr. Henry Fisher, um, who works with Chris. And through that through that networking event, I met I met other people and. During that same time as well, the Zimbabwean government suspended licensing. They have reopened it again since, but um, I thought in the meantime, instead of trying to push a rock up a hill, etc., I would instead pursue a career within the within the industry in London, and that kind of led me to uh, to grow biotech through um, another colleague, Tom Gray, and uh, eventually I, I met with the uh, the COO Harry and the CEO Ben. And one thing led to another, and I'm sitting here today with you. Fantastic. Yeah. Good to hear. I'm glad, mm. glad you made it. So I, I've been asking kind of most people this question, but so what did your parents say when you told them you have a job in cannabis? Um, at first, my, my parents, I guess, they didn't really understand the, um, the implications of, of an industry like this being legalized overnight, uh, almost. And I think they had the same kind of reservations as any parent would. And also the fact that, you know, that they are two retired consultant radiologists. I think they saw pretty quickly with a bit of, you know, <laughs> uh, wouldn't say. Cajoling? There we go. <laughs> about, about the potential of, of, of treating people with this and, uh, and the fact that you could actually form a legitimate career. And I think I think the it wasn't actually as hard as I built it up in my mind to convince my parents uh, <laughs> that it was legitimate kind of choice. But I think they're they're all for it now. And now my dad is even sending me clippings of newspaper from his iPad every day whilst I'm at work about various happenings in the world, which is which is uh, which is great. Good. Yeah. You've done the sales pitch. Sales pitch worked. Well, he's, he's now one of my researchers. So. <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff. How about you, Chris? Well, there wasn't really much convincing to do. I uh, I told my mum, and uh, she's not uh, super science literate, and from her perspective, it just seemed I'm just using my chemistry understanding to solve a different problem. Um, so it wasn't really much of a challenge. It was it was slightly more of an interesting conversations within um, within academia. So mm. you know, obviously, I, I made the decision about a about a year and a half ago that I think I want to pursue this industry. Um, and I spoke to a variety of um, my colleagues in, in, in academia. And uh, it was interesting that I think I'd say there's kind of a, an age divide. And pretty much everyone I spoke with about 40 or 45 years or under, they kind of understood, oh, yeah, obviously, it's just, you know, this is the future. And this is clearly where a lot of things are going. I think there's a lot of uh, growth area. Pretty, pretty supportive about the idea. You know, maybe they still had uh, some interest in me staying in academia because they, you know, they, they have a have a preference. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other side of, the, of it, there was um, uh, there were some academics that I spoke with, uh, maybe a little bit older, maybe a little bit more. I don't want to say close minded, but perhaps um, uh, a little bit unaware of, of the changes in the science as well as the public mood on issues, and they were a lot more. I'm confused about why would you why would you do such a thing? <laughs> um, but I think uh, I 
think the, the younger people kind of understand that a little bit more. Okay, that's good. That's and that's good to good to hear the uh, the kind of professional side of of, of the debate. Okay, great. Well, thank you, guys. It's been really illuminating, and uh, it's a very relevant topic at the moment uh, amongst the hundreds of other topics within the cannabis family. Mm. Uh, so thank you for helping us with that today. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Mm. Thank you. Okay, I hope you enjoyed that. Again, it was really great to see how excited scientists are getting about this unexplored area. So it was great to hear from Chris and also Mike Great to hear his advice on how to pick CBD products amongst the the millions that are available. Okay, now is the time where I shamelessly buy your love through giving you some good stuff. I've got some CBD oil kindly donated from the great guys at Dragonfly CBD. All of Mike's advice on what to look for in products is exemplified by these guys at Dragonfly. This is the highest quality material around and a really great product. So in order to be in with the chance of winning this CBD oil, I'd really like you to write a positive review for the show on iTunes. And if you can then comment on one of the show posts on Insta, Twitter or Facebook, that way we can identify you. And if you do that before the end of the week, then over the weekend, I'll pick out a winner and we'll contact you and send the stuff in the post. I hope that is cool. And thanks again for all your support. We've got a great show next week about investment with a guy called Patrick Morton from Canada. So he'll be telling us about the investment landscape for the emerging cannabis industry. And it's a really interesting show. So hope you tune in then. Until then, have a great week. (laughs) 